You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. Hey everyone, it's Candace and Cher with Processing Trauma Out Loud, back to do another episode. Cher, we started a new conversation last week on arousal structures. If you have not listened to that, go back and listen. It really will set you up for what you're going to be sharing today on what is an arousal structure, what do we do about it, etc. But I want to go ahead and name again, even though we named it last week. We understand that even the word arousal can bring up some complexities on what we think about and how we feel about it. We may not like it. Actually, we've heard several people, and I even I struggled with that, especially if we've been sexually abused. But arousal structure may not have anything to do with sexual abuse. It may, but it does have something to do with abuse and neglect and patterns that were formed in childhood. This is why we're tackling this is, especially if you go back and listen to this next week, you will understand why we think this actually became more important than what we realized until we did this last episode. We just knew, oh yeah, we got to keep talking about this not just for us, but for our listeners. And so today, Cher, we mentioned last week that we kind of want to get into a little bit more of the mechanics of it. And so can you set us up for that? And maybe just more more details around what is an arousal structure? Yeah, and I think we, we, st- we kind of eased into this topic by from our episode a couple of weeks ago on asking for help. And why is asking for help so hard? And recognizing that even something as simple as asking for help can be very complex when we have experienced emotional or physical neglect, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. And that our arousal structures that developed out of neglect and abuse that continue to play out in our lives have a big effect on all of our life, really. I think I want to go back to just the concept of the window of tolerance. And we've talked about that in previous episodes more in depth, but I I want to just give a brief explanation of, we think of the window of tolerance on the spectrum of one to 10. The goal or the optimal or what we love is when we are in the window, which would be numbers on that scale of one to 10 of like four, five, and six. When we are in four, five, and six, we're present. Our prefrontal cortex is online. We feel calm. We feel at peace. We're enjoying life. Okay, we feel alive. We're not dysregulated. Hypoarousal is the lower end of the spectrum, numbers one, two, three, where we feel disconnected or dissociated or distant or shut down or in freeze mode in some kind of a way. That is what we call hypoarousal. Literally, our our body slows down, our heart rate can slow down, our breathing tempo slows down, hypoarousal. On the other end of the spectrum is hyperarousal when our body gets very anxious and when we feel high intensity in our emotions or we might feel anxiety or anger or, or, or love, whatever it is. But when we are in that dysregulated state, of being very high intensity and a lot of energy flowing through our body. We call that hyperarousal. 
So that is the window of tolerance on that scale of one to 10. And where do we land when we have certain experiences? And so what we're talking about today is the arousal structure and that when we experience certain stimuli, we will feel arousal in our body. Sometimes that's perfect and wonderful and causes us to function in great ways. I'm hungry. I'm, I feel arousal. I go to the refrigerator and I find food or I go to the grocery store and I, right? So we feel energy in our body. But, but what we are talking about here more specifically today is when we have developed arousal structures out of harm and trauma that we experienced in life. And these structures continue to play out in our lives very much on a subconscious level. We're not aware that they are directing and even dictating what we do when we experience certain stimuli. And so that might be a look that we get from somebody that makes us feel like we're stupid. And somebody in our childhood always made us feel stupid. And so when we see that look, and then we perceive that that look has a lot of meaning, we can, we will then respond according to the structure that has been preset in our body and in our brain. I, I heard someone say this today. I want to just say this really quick. There, So we talk a lot about developmental trauma, right? Things that have happened over and over that creates the pattern and the structure. But I heard this guy say this today. He said, Sometimes it actually only takes one time because one, there's no repair. There's no moving that out of the body and seeing things rightly, but it's the message that we develop that we play over and over and over. So don't get caught up in necessarily how often this happened, but did it happen and did it create a thought pattern that you're still living in? Yeah. And the brain is so amazing in the body of how, yeah, even one experience then that that tells our body and brain, when I experience this particular stimuli, I am not safe. Mm-hmm. When I am not safe, this is what I must do to make myself safe. And that will be hyper arousal or hypo arousal. And then we will do that same thing when we encounter that stimuli pretty much every single time. Mm-hmm. until we experience some kind of awareness and then some kind of healing. And usually that requires having some kind of intersection with, as we ended last time, with love through another person that helps us believe that things can be different. You mentioned this came out of asking for help and why it can be hard. One reason that it can be hard is we really do have to say, are we ready to change? Do you want to be healed? Because healing will mean becoming aware, lovingly, gently, kindly, slowly. And then the it, there is a responsibility that if we want to heal, we begin to make different choices that we are now aware of. And, and sometimes we're not ready for that. No, I think, you know, I've worked on my healing journey for, you know, <laughs> 45 years. And at many points along the pathway, I encountered opportunities for healing, but I couldn't take it in. I probably went into arousal, my arousal patterns, which then blocked me from being able to go further because of anxiety that 
or fear that popped up. And then my brain and my body kicked in and I went through my process of like, nope, this is not safe and I'm not going there. And I think that's a, a such a key thing is that our arousal structure has so much to do with whether our brain and our body feel safe. So the thing that I want to say is that these arousal structures are formed not only early in childhood, but mostly what we're talking about here is developmental trauma. But so the things that are still playing out in our lives are structures that were developed usually very early in life. And, and it's, again, it's the way that our brain and body feels when, when, when we are experiencing some form of threat and then what our brain and body does to get us back into a place where it feels like, oh, okay, whew, I can survive. Maybe not even that I am safe, but that I can survive. And this is our brain's number one priority is that we survive couple more things. We are so affected by our arousal structure that I will say that most of our behavior is directed and even dictated by these arousal structures that were developed really early in life. Cher, I want to just say that statement, I used to know before I knew something because my body was telling me when I would hear someone say, well, just stop or just chew. There was something about that, that I knew was off, but I didn't know why. And you just explained why. Yeah. It's, it's our, when we are aroused, our prefrontal cortex is not engaged. It goes offline and we are functioning out of our survival instincts. Um, and all of the information that's stored in our limbic brain and stored in our body and, 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 but we cannot think and process in those ways that, that would enable us to think through it rationally and logically and systematically. We're reacting according to old patterns that help us survive. And then the last thing I want to say is how do we heal or change our arousal structures? And we'll talk much, much more about this, but I I just highlighted three things. Awareness is so important. When we become aware of what we're feeling in our body, and then when we bring attention to that awareness, and then we begin to recognize patterns of how this is showing up, and then we can move toward getting healing through asking for help through connecting with a trauma-informed story group or therapist or coach who can help us begin the process of recognizing that the patterns that we have done throughout our whole lives continue to bring harm to us and the relationships that we cherish the most in our lives. So these are just so quickly, and we could spend days talking about this, and I, I, I have spent hours pondering this topic. But yeah, anything else that you want to mention, Candice, before we kind of talk a little bit about, you're going to share a little bit today with us about one of the patterns that pops up for you a lot. But before you go towards that, anything else in the kind of the mechanics aspect that you want to mention? I do have something that came up as you were naming the three things, the the awareness. When this happens, there will be most likely big feelings that start to come up. Anger, grief, deep sorrow. And those can be extreme, you know, just depending on because what happens is 
we have an awareness of how much this has impacted our lives. There's a sense of, there's a part of this that we just have to trust, but now is the time. Now is the time. I don't know why this didn't happen 10, 20, 30 years ago. It feels like there would have been a lot less turmoil, but I just want to say, no matter how old you are, if this is speaking to you, is this the time? So last week, I shared a little bit about how loneliness affected my life through so much of my life and how my arousal structures really dictated what I did repeatedly throughout my life when feelings of loneliness would come up and how how this went through, how, how, I, how I established these cycles that I played out over and over and over through my life. And, and we talked a little bit about wanting to just bring up a few other kinds of emotions or, or, or stimuli that we encounter and then that usher us into certain arousal patterns that play out. And so, yeah, we talked a little bit about something that you wanted to share um, with our listeners about just being abandoned. You and I mentioned that we have similar arousal structures in uh, identifying with having a fearful avoidant attachment, but you lean towards more avoidant and I lean more towards anxious. And so as a child, when my parents divorced and my dad left the home, even though he didn't want the divorce, I I felt abandoned. And I heard this guy say, adults don't get abandoned because they actually can do something about it. A child, when they lose a parent in any way, they they are abandoned to them and, and they can't do anything about it. I mean, that's the thing. That's the hopelessness. That's the powerlessness. That's the voicelessness. Because I actually did try to use my voice and it didn't help. What happened for me in that place of deep pain of being abandoned, I, I've noticed like being able to see initially what that looked like for me. I had a lot of energy as a child and, and I, I was outside a lot. I, I was running. I was riding my bikes. I had dreams a lot about me just moving and, and doing high intensity things. I mean, Share. Someone paid me 25 cents to jump off a church building and I broke my ankle. <laughs> yeah. Like when I look back on my childhood, I was an intense little girl. Yeah. But then when I got older and um and that was no longer really working to just go play outside. You know, that that's where I turned to my patterns of finding soothing around the fear of abandonment through intimate relationships. That pattern for me in my arousal structure, actually, my story is there was sex involved, but it was more that little girl saying, will you choose me? And will you want me? And will you keep me? (laughs) If someone did that, like they were all in, I did the same thing you did. I would pull back. Understanding this has led me to write my memoir. I'm not going to tell you the name of it yet because I'm still working on that. Yep. Yep. (laughs) But it led me to write my memoir and it has led me 
to, I, you know, I want to just say I have this space of freedom in me. I didn't realize how much space my own condemning thoughts and accusations took in my body. I just didn't know. And so now it's like, what do I do with all this energy? Right. Mm-hmm. And what I want to do is I want to create, I want to play, I want to help other people. And, and I also want to hold that I could get triggered again. And what am I going to do? You know, like I have resources now. I never set myself up to think I will 100% never betray myself again, but I will work damn hard not to knowing what I know now. Yeah. And that you're not alone, that even your awareness of when things start firing in your body and you're feeling that sense of abandonment or that that what you do with that now doesn't take you where it took you back then. You have ways now that you can bring attentiveness to your body or you're finding yourself just reenacting those old arousal structure patterns. Yeah. And, you know, and, and reaching, right. Reaching, longing, pining away in in different ways and in different relationships. Right. Even with my own husband for years, I think that understanding this for me has opened up being able to slow way down Mm -hmm. and noticing like, what what's happening here. So as a little girl, like you said that you struggled with loneliness. It was for me, it was more of the fear, like abandonment means that you are being left alone. Well, I also have stories of being physically left alone at times where I was terrified. So it was kind of a double whammy, like the abandonment. And then those feelings of fear of being physically left alone created, I want to say extreme, let me think about this, extreme situations cause call for extreme measures. Like the extremeness that I felt of that fear caused extreme behaviors in feeling not fearful and alone. Yeah. And again, I'll go back to the, the one priority of our brain is survival. And you were experiencing so much fear that you were terrified. And and, and I want to highlight the word terror. Terror was embodied. It, it, it was embedded. It became embedded in your body. Throughout your life, you've had many experiences where that level of hyper arousal showed up for you. And I, I remember A couple of years ago, you started to really recognize and honor your body when you would begin to feel aroused. I'll use that word when there was energy in your body, like you begin to make a practice of moving and you would just stop whatever was going on. And you would say, I need to get outside right now and walk. And you started walking and you actually just started running and you began to really pay attention to the sensations of terror as, as as well as other things. But when that began to build in you, rather than having to go through those old arousal structure patterns and play out the old stories again and again and again, you intersected that with the resource of getting outside and moving your body. And this has made a huge change and impact in your life. Yeah. And still does. Yeah. 
It still does. Yes. It well, which which is interesting to me because that's what I did. The purity of that as a little girl, the goodness of being outside and moving my body and getting, you know, energy flowing through. You know, it's interesting. I can still do that as a reactive response, mm-hmm. but I like being preemptive and proactive. Yeah. There's just something about moving my body first thing in the morning yeah. that brings something different to my day, something better. Really love it. You know, and it, it goes back to what what I just mentioned about we heal and change our arousal structures through awareness and through attention that brings healing. And you're you're doing the work and well, well done. Thank you. It's, yeah. You know, it's been good to not feel so like we talk about this often. I have safe and secure connections with others and within myself, not always perfect, but always present and always consistent. I always have an anchor and I do have to make choices to turn to that. Yep. And, but now I have more of the conscious choices that I'm making in those moments. I'll just come back to love because this is where we ended our last episode. But when we begin to experience love in a repeated kind of a way, our brain is able to begin to establish neuro, new neural pathways that are based on the loving experience. And then that in a, then when you connect that with movement or awareness in your body, or that, right, that now when you have certain sensations in your body, and you know that you are not alone, and you can reach out and people are there and faces of love show up. And like when that's repeated, as you have experienced now, you have new neural pathways. Doesn't mean the old ones are gone, but they're not, they're not the path that is the default. Now you have some new default neural pathways in your brain. Yeah. And I want to say the most powerful thing about that is um, the ability to know that ruptures will occur and repair will too. Yeah. I, I just felt that when I said that, like, yes, we're not talking about living this life that you never get dysregulated, that there's never ruptures in your relationship, but you have this capacity, this resilience, this empowerment to move towards repair with yourself and kindness and forgiveness and, and with others. Yeah. Your brain and your body know that now to be true. Mine too. Yeah. I see it on both of our faces right yeah. now. I was yeah. seeing it on yours. You lit up yep. and I felt it like, oh, this is the game changer. We did not get, we we were helpless to make that happen as children and we are no longer helpless. Yeah. Thank you, Cher, for um, just engaging a little more of my story today and I don't know. We may be back for another one. We'll talk it through and decide if we want to and need to. And if you happen to listen to this and you would reach out to us and say, hey, we would like to hear more about this. I bet we could bring another episode. (laughs) Sounds so good, Candice. And just great to be with you. And thanks for sharing part of your story and letting us see glimpses into some of the pain that you experienced in your childhood, some more, not that you haven't shared a lot with us already, but yeah, just thanks for sharing that with us today. Really meaningful. Mm -hmm. You're welcome, friend. Love you. Love you too. 
Thank you for listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media. Like, subscribe, and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. One last thing. If you have found this podcast helpful in any way, or if you have questions on how to take the next steps on your healing journey, please reach out to us via email at candisshare at gmail.com. That's K-A-N-D-A-C-E-S-H-E-R at gmail.com. Our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Auditory LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.